Thank you, Joy. Appreciate that. Wow. Uh, Joy is Susan Hewitt's niece. Comes to visit them, and we're blessed because of it. Find in your Bible with me again the New Testament book of First Peter. If you have your Bible with you, First Peter, this time chapter three, and hold your place there for a moment. If you're new to First Baptist Church, or maybe uh, just as a refresher of the series that we are in, we're in a message series called. Uh, Living with hope in a hostile world as we're studying First Peter together. And we're reflecting on the fact that our world, our culture, is turning more and more hostile toward Christianity all the time and toward people of faith. Becoming increasingly hostile toward faith, churches, and people of faith more and more. We're seeing that in our culture. But the Bible is uh, not unfamiliar with this. And, and Peter, in the, first, in, in the book of First Peter, is instructing Christians who are under persecution. They have been displaced out of their homes because of persecution. And he's writing to them about how to handle this persecution. In chapter 2, we entered into Peter's application of the principle of submission. Uh, That is how we are to submit to God and reflect that submission to God in all of our other relationships. God calls us to submit to him and to show that in our other relationships. And you'll recall that Peter uh, instructed believers how to practice the principle of submission in our relationship to the government as citizens. And then you'll remember he talked to slaves and servants about how to practice the principle of submission in the household relationship with masters uh, if they are slaves and servants. And then we looked at that overall principle of submission and how it applies to us if we are suffering in our relationship, much like masters and slaves would do. Now what I would call your attention to is those first two relationships, that of believers to their government and that of believers who are slaves or servants in a household to their masters and to the rest of that household. Uh, Those relationships uh, are a little bit different in that God did not institute either of those relationships. A government exists because of the fall, because of sin. Government, the military, law enforcement exist because we are sinners. And we, are, we can't self-govern uh, in the sense that we need a government, we need law enforcement, we need the military because we are prone to sin. And we are prone to mismanage our lives and our nation, and our government. So government exists for that. So God concedes government in the Old Testament. He, uh, he accommodates to humanity, and government comes along behind that. Slavery is completely the opposite. It's the result of sin, but God did not institute or concede slavery or accommodate slavery at all. Uh, God does not bless slavery, uh, and ultimately, through government, ironically, slavery was abolished, abolished through the Christian influence in Western culture, and praise God for that. The Bible never uh, confirms that slavery is good. The Bible never advances or advocates for slavery. Slavery is the result of sin. But the point of those first two specific applications is that wherever the believer finds himself or herself in relationship, in whatever that relationship might be, our obligation is to serve Christ. We are called to serve Christ in whatever relationship we are in. We are called by God to submit to Him and therefore practice the principle of submission in all of our relationships. 
But next we're going to see in chapter 3, Peter apply this to the institution that God created. The institution that God created in the created order and which God routinely blesses when we follow him in this institution. It's the institution of marriage. Christianity and the Bible as a whole always lifts up marriage, always advocates for marriage, always even exalts marriage. But in our culture, we've drifted farther and farther and farther away from that. In 2017, before COVID, and things have accelerated in this respect since COVID, in 2017, uh, researchers studied, through the U.S. Census Bureau, studied uh, adults ages 18 to 34, young adults in the United States of America, and asked them uh, what their focus is for their lives. Where, where would they place most of the emphasis for their lives at this young age? The highest percentage said they would put the focus on their own, uh, advancing their own career and especially their own studies. If they want to go to college, they, it's those 18 to 20 year olds, they said that, that's their focus, that's what they want to do. From there, the percentages dropped incrementally, but several categories focused on independence. I want to get out of my, my parents' house. <laughs> I want to get my own career. I want to start a career. I want to buy my own house. All of those focusing on independence, on being my own person, on living my own life. The smallest percentage of adults ages 18 to 34, just 12% said, I'd like to get married and start a family. Now that's coming from the Census Bureau, but it's instructive because it has flip-flopped over time in our culture. Remember there was a time not too long ago when getting married and starting a family was one of the highest goals of all adults. And the reason for that is because it's woven into our creation. It's part of the created order. God has made that part of who we are. And that's the reason the Bible and Christianity uh, elevate marriage and family the way that we do and seek to protect marriage and family the way that we do. Because as goes marriage and family, so goes the culture. And it's part of the created order that we should be married, husband and wife, man and woman, and have a family. That was God's design, and it's part of the created order. So Peter has that in mind in the section that we're about to read. Uh, now, when we read what we're going to read, it would not be unusual in our progressive, increasingly hostile culture to read this passage and say something like it advocates for men to dominate women or, or, or husbands to oppress wives. That's not at all true. In fact, we need to read it through a first century lens, not a 21st century lens. And when we do, we find what's extraordinary about it is that, as we'll see in just a moment, Peter elevates the role of wives. He places the role of wives, Christian wives, first. In fact, the passage is written first and foremost to Christian wives who are married to non-Christian husbands. So keep that in mind as we read it. And as Peter applies the principle of submission to the marriage relationship. We're going to start reading at chapter 3 and verse 1. Peter says, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. When they observe your pure and reverent lives, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes. 
But rather, what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight? For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, I want to point out a few things before we continue. Remember, Peter's number one priority is for us to remember, we are called by God to practice the principle of submission, first and foremost, by submitting to Him in all of our relationships. That's what's going on here. God calls us to submit to Him in all of our relationships and then practice that principle of submission. What's unique about this passage is that Peter not only addresses wives, that is women, but he addresses them first. This was highly unusual in the ancient world. In the ancient world, men dominated everything, especially the home. But when Christianity comes along, the Christianity teaches universally that men and women are created equal in the eyes of God. Therefore, we are saved the same through the salvation of God in Jesus Christ. And when Christianity comes along, Christianity applies that to every relationship, but in particular, the family relationship. So Peter does three things here. Pay attention to this, just right off the bat. First of all, he acknowledges that women are saved the same as men, that wives are saved the same as their husbands, and therefore equal before God. Though their roles might be different in the world and in the home, they are equal before God in salvation and in creation. So in in a mind-boggling, what would have been radical for his day and time, he actually addresses the wives first. Then the second thing he does is he equalizes the conversation, verse 1 and verse 7. He's talking about the same thing to husbands and to wives in the same way. What's he talking about? Submission. In the same way as I talked about it with government, in the same way as I talked about it with slaves and masters, in the same way Christians always have the same calling, the same obligation in every relationship. That is, God calls us to submit to Him and then practice the principle of submission. Both husbands and wives. Both are obligated under Christ to practice this principle in their relationships. And then next, he is going to focus on ladies, specifically wives, married to unsaved men. That would not have been very unusual at all when Christianity first started in the first century, and sadly, it's not unusual today either. Frequently, we have wives who are married to unsaved men. Many, some of you sitting here this morning... Some of you at home may be in exactly that situation. You're a Christian, born-again woman in Christ, married to an unsaved man. Peter's going to speak directly to you this morning. But in the bigger universal application, he's talking to all of us, all of us who are spouses, about our priorities in this principle of submission, but, but to all of us as believers as well, whether you're married or not. You're going to see in a moment he's talking to you as well. 
So the number one principle, the priority at hand, is that God calls us to practice the principle of submission in all of our relationships, in this case, in the husband and wife relationship at home. Uh, let's go back to the text for a moment. I want us to see, out of that priority, three priorities that all of us have in our marriage relationships. Believers, in particular, have in marriage relationships. Peter's going to apply that. He's going to speak to uh, the wife, the Christian wife, who is married to the unsaved man, but it applies to all of us as well. So look at this with me. Three priorities we have is, uh, with our, in our marriages as Christians, and especially if we're married to an unsaved spouse. The first priority is to serve Christ faithfully. Serve Christ faithfully. First and foremost, your relationship with Christ is what matters. You serve Christ faithfully. You live for Christ in the home. You are called by God to serve him in every relationship, and that includes in your marriage relationship. We have to be careful not to think we're in that marriage relationship, first and foremost, to serve the spouse. If we're a Christian, we're there to serve Christ, and this answers a lot of other questions along the way as well. So you serve Christ faithfully. Look at what Peter says. Wives, in the same way as we read it, submit to your own husband. Now, the phrase is literally submitting to. It's an ongoing, it's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing occupation of the life of the Christian wife, submitting to her husband. And the, the designation, your own husband, is intentional. It's specific. The, the Bible doesn't call Christian women to submit in this same relationship to every man just because he's a man. The Bible acknowledges that the marriage relationship was designed by God in the created order. And when God did that, he put the man as the leader of that relationship. Not because men and women are created unequally or saved differently or unequally, but because, because they are equally created and equally saved, designed in the image of God, saved by God in Jesus Christ, there needs to be order among equals. So God designed that relationship that way, so the man is the leader of that home. That's embedded in creation. But the thing was, in the first century, these wives, these Gentile, non-Christian non wives, being saved out, and remember these are, these are Christians out throughout the empire Peter's writing to, uh, they are saved out of a pagan environment. And they are suddenly set free, they're liberated in Christ, they're being taught, they are saved by Christ just as equally as their husbands are. So it would be very easy for them to think, well, I can do whatever I want to do, I can Follow. I don't have to worry about the created order. I can live my life, do what I want to do. So Peter's capping that by saying the created order is still in place. Even if your husband is not a Christian, the created order is still in place. You live a lifestyle of mutual submission, of submitting to your own husband. And then he says... You have a high, the reason for this is you have a higher priority. And, and it's a higher priority. The implication is it's a higher priority than just making yourself happy. They, they had the same, uh, I want, if they had television, they'd had the same commercials in the first century we do today uh, that, that sing and loud and shout that, that it's all about you. It's all about you. Make yourself happy. They had philosophers that told them that. They didn't need television. They had philosophers that traveled around 
I told everybody, it's all about you. Make yourself happy. Peter says, no, it's not. It's not about you. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The moment you came to faith in Christ, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what your relationships are, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Peter says to the, to the, to the saved wife married to an unsaved husband, even if he is living in active disobedience to the word of God, without a word, you got it, that's a play on words, without a word, he might be won over by your reverent lifestyle in Christ. What does that mean? That means your husband's watching the gospel in you. He's watching Jesus in you. The term translated disobedient to the word means disobedient to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of creation, of humanity. He's not there yet. So your job is not to badger him with the gospel. Your job is to live reverently for Christ in that home. Doesn't mean you would never enter into a conversation about the gospel or about Jesus, but it means he needs to see you. He needs to see the difference that Christ has made in your life. That's what he needs to see first of all and first and foremost. Uh, the phrase one over, or he might be one without a word, uh, was adopted by Christians from first of all the military when they would win battles, then secondly it was used in competition events, the great uh, athletic events uh, of the first century. And it was brought over to the Christian language and what it, what it means is you can win them. It's a missional idea. You are on mission for Christ right there in your home. Just like you are in the community, but right there in your home, you're on mission for Christ. The gospel comes first. So while it's important that when the opportunity arises, you have conversations with your unsaved spouse or your unsaved loved one, remember that they're watching your life. They're watching how you live. And it's important they see Christ in you, your reverence for God will show through first. Uh, years and years ago, when Kim and I were living in Texas, I went to Oklahoma to preach a revival, small church in a small rural community. And uh, on that Saturday morning, the deacons and, and the pastor and I rallied up and we went out visiting. Very common to do in revivals, especially in rural areas. And I uh, saddled up with a deacon, got in his pickup truck, we went out to visit, and, and he would let me know as we arrived at a house. We went to see three or four people that morning. I said, well, you know, who are we visiting and, and, and all this. So uh, along the way, we went to a gentleman's home, senior adult man, uh, and his wife were there. And as we arrived and he started describing the situation to me, it was, it was evident very quickly that this gentleman who did not know Christ, was not a Christian, married to a Christian woman. This gentleman was the target audience for every evangelist, every pastor, every visitation day, every opportunity, every presentation of the gospel, they targeted this gentleman. And I found that out before we walked in the door, and as soon as we sat down and started talking to him, it became even more evident, not only was he closed off to the gospel, because he knew I mean, if the church promoted a revival, it was just a matter of time on Saturday morning till the visiting pastor came to share the gospel with him. I sympathized with him. But even more than that, sympathized with him because of who he was married to. 
Christian lady that could not stop talking. She was, every time I started talking, she interrupted me. Are you listening to him? You're going to hell if you don't accept Christ right now. This might be your last chance. And he was completely closed off. His face showed it. His posture showed it. His legs crossed. He's sitting in his chair with the attitude, oh, I'm going to take it again because I have to. And every time I would open my mouth and say, there'd she go. You better listen to him. This is your last chance. You could go to hell today. She wasn't wrong. That wasn't the problem. So after a few minutes, I said to her, can I have a glass of water? Well, sure. And off she went into the kitchen. And a few minutes I had, I looked at this gentleman and I said, listen. I said, you know the truth, don't you? You know. He said, yeah, I do. And I said, when are you going to be ready to make a decision? Why, are you, why have you not trusted Christ? He said, to be honest with you, I don't know. And I kind of did. Because, of, because when it came right down to it, he was willing to stay lost just to spite her. <laughs> and I said, I'm here today because I care about you. I'm here today because Christ loves you. I'm not here because you're a project or a presentation. I'm just here. You know the truth. When the time comes, I'll be gone. The pastor is still here. Call him up. He'll come over. He'll pray with you. Because at the end of the day, this is between you and God, not between you and her. Right? Spouses, listen. If your loved one doesn't know Christ, you can do a lot more good by listening and loving and living for Christ in their presence. Let the conversation come along. Don't hide it. And don't dismiss opportunities to share the gospel. But nagging and badgering is not the way to get somebody to Jesus. It's just not. And that's true of all of us, isn't it? It's true of all of us. You'd be amazed what listening, loving, and living for Christ in your relationships can really do to bring somebody closer, to bring them to that point where they say, you know what, I think I'd like to go to church with you. I think I'd like to hear about Christ again. Will you tell me? Serve Christ faithfully. Second, cultivate character. Cultivate character in your life. Do it intentionally in your life. In the next section, a very long section, Peter addresses these wives about their outward appearance. Now, it'd be easy again to take this to say, Peter's teaching that women uh, should dress in plain outfits and, and don't wear jewelry. And, and That's not what he's talking about at all. What he's doing is often what needs to be heard in our context as well for everyone, that God is not as concerned about your outward appearance. Once you come to Christ, your heart matters more. Your character matters more. And to the ladies married to unsafe spouses, he would say, don't dismiss the fact that, that your character in Christ is what he is seeing. Uh, you don't need to be in competition with the other women. If you're not going to the pagan temple anymore. You don't need to flaunt anything in the street or around other women. You don't need to prove yourself. What you need to do is grow in Christ. 
He's not against outward appearance. He's not against outward beauty. But notice what he says is, your beauty is inward. Cultivate that character. Cultivate the character of Christ in you. And he will see that. That's a kind of beauty he's not accustomed to. Watch what happens when you cultivate that beauty. And then he uses Sarah of the Old Testament married to Abraham as an example for this wife. This wife who might be discouraged in this relationship. This wife who might be struggling in this relationship with her husband. He uses Sarah as an example. And he says, Sarah... Who was, and this is why Sarah is such a great example. Sarah and Abraham were called by God together. And you'll notice in the Old Testament, Sarah never says, Hey, Abraham, I've got my own call. I'm listening to God now. I don't have to listen to you. No, Sarah respected that created order. And she respected the order that God put them in and that Abraham was the leader, even though she knew she was equally created in the image of God and equally saved her, their, their faith reckoned to them as righteousness. She equally had a relationship with God. But she practiced the principle of submission. To Abraham. And he uses Sarah as that example too. Notice what he says. You're a daughter of Sarah. You're in a long lineage of people. Women just like you. That seek to serve their Savior in sometimes difficult circumstances. Women just like you. Who have practiced the principle of submission. Maybe in your case it's to an unsaved spouse or to a saved spouse. But either way, you're making that decision because you're a follower of Christ. You're in that heritage of faith. Doing what all women who love the Lord have been doing all these years. And you can kind of hear him say in the background, good for you. Good for you. And it might be difficult at times. But God knows your faith. God's calls on your life. Keep being faithful to him and cultivate that character consistently. Uh, Peter also says, notice this at the end, he says, when you're doing that, ladies, married to unsaved spouses, you have no one to fear but the Lord Jesus. You have no one to fear but God. You don't have to fear your husband. And you should not cave to intimidation. Did you notice he said that? What's he talking about? Well, remember the man in the ancient world, he was, he was dominant. He was in charge. And he was so in charge that the household of the Gentile, the pagan man, that Roman man, that household uh, was obligated to uh, adopt whatever religion, whatever household idols he brought home. Everybody had to worship whoever he said to worship. And all of a sudden now he has a spouse that refuses to worship the household idols, refuses to bow down to paganism and falsehood. He's got a wife in the house that worships an unseen God. And she's excited, and she's loving, and she's kind. And she says no when he says, you got to do what I say and bow down to those idols. And she says, my greater obligation is to my God. You're my husband. You're the leader of the home. But there are two things she does not have to comply with. One, she does not have to comply with abuse. And we're going to see that coming up. 
And second, she does not have to bow down or comply with things God does not want her to do. At the end of the day, she's practicing the principle of submission, not because he's such a great husband, but because God is her God. And he has called her to practice submission in the home. God still comes first. Cultivate the character of Christ in your life. Not only will he see it, but it will give you strength in difficult relationships. Whether it's husband and wife. Maybe it's relationships outside the home. Maybe it's in the workplace or at school. When you cultivate the character of Christ in your life, when you focus on the beauty and the fortitude and the courage and the confidence that you have in Christ and in the Word of God, you're ready to face whatever comes without being intimidated or pressed to back down. You'll be ready. Serve Christ faithfully. Cultivate character intentionally. Then here's the third priority for Christian spouses in the home is to grow together spiritually. Grow together spiritually. It's a priority for all of us in the body of Christ. It's a priority for Christian friends and Christian family and, and, and a Christian church. But in that household in particular, you have a priority to grow together spiritually. Suddenly in verse 7, uh, Peter gives one verse to the husbands. And ladies, don't you wonder. The wife got six verses. The husband gets one. Sounds a little out of balance, doesn't it? But remember, here, here's, here's what's happening here. Remember the whole setup. The husband at the institution of creation, the man is the leader of the home, the authority in that authority structure. Not to be domineering, not to be abusive, but in order to have order among equals, God has established the man as that authority. Suddenly, he didn't do it when he talked about government. He didn't talk to government Christian, Christian leaders in government. He didn't talk to the masters of the household. He talked to the slaves and the servants. But suddenly now, where God's design comes in, he speaks to the authority in the home. The Christian man. Because now that that man's a Christian, think about it for a second, his wife may not be a Christian. What we're reading assumes they both are. But let's say his wife's not a Christian yet. And what he does is he comes home and he gets rid of the household idols. And he brings his family together and he says, we're worshiping this one true God. He's unseen, but he's the one true God. In the first century, just like today, the way the man goes, so goes the household. The man gets saved, the man comes to Christ, it's far more likely, the percentages are far higher when that husband, that father comes to Christ that the whole household will come to Christ. Because God's designed him to be the leader of that household. Implicitly and absolutely, they look to him for what's right. Men, remember that for your children, especially your young children. Men, remember that they're watching you, that you're leading them spiritually. And you might be leading them away from Christ, but I hope you're leading them toward Christ and lead your whole household, your home, deeper into the faith in Christ. So he says, husbands, and watch this, verse 7, in the same way, there you are, you're not off the hook, you're practicing submission, just like your wife, in the same way, he says to the husband, here's what you need to do. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be 
hindered. Let's park on that first phrase for a minute. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner. That weaker partner phrase is translated a variety of ways into English because it's actually difficult, that phrase, to bring from Greek into English. But everybody pretty much knows that it speaks of her as a more vulnerable vessel or a weaker partner. Now, ladies, Peter is not saying you are weaker in intelligence, you're weaker in morality, you're weaker in ethics, you're weaker in instinct, you're weaker in capability. That's not what he means at all. He means it very literally, physically. That, that gentlemen, your bride is physically weaker than you. Now, why would this matter? Why, why say that to the husband? Well, remember, the husband is the dominant figure in that household. He has come to faith in Christ, and, and as, as Peter means, so has his wife. But in their culture, the, the main place that he showed his dominance in the household was physically. We call it intimacy. We call it consensual. We call it being sensitive. They didn't know any of that in the ancient world, especially the Romans. In the Roman world, the man got what he got when he wanted it. Any part of the house, any place he desired, any way he wanted it, he got what he got. And then Christianity comes along and says, no, you don't get to do that. Because she's created in the image of God. She is saved the same way you are. And God will hold you accountable for the way you treat her in the bedroom or any other room in the house. That was radical for the ancient world. Peter says, and the phrase understanding means biblical truth. Understand how God created her. Biblical truth. And take care of her lovingly and accordingly. And then he says why. Because you are both co-heirs in Christ. You're both saved the same way. And God will hold you accountable for the way you treat this daughter of Sarah that you have in your household. And then he says kind of an odd thing. Uh, make sure you do what God wants you to do. Because if you don't, your prayers may be hindered. Now, why do you suppose, gentlemen, why do you suppose, if you don't treat your spouse, whether she's a Christian or not, but especially if she's a Christian, why do you suppose if you don't treat her as in a loving way as Christ wants you to treat her, why do you suppose your prayers would be hindered? Why do you suppose suddenly the halls of heaven would become somewhat quiet and there would be more distance between you and your heavenly father? Why, why do you suppose that is? Well, Peter just told you. Because she's a co-heir with Christ. Let me put it another way. You, you might, if you don't treat your spouse, gentlemen, you don't treat your wife as Christ wants you to treat her when you go to your knees and you start praying you know what God's going to say I might not hear you today because you've been treating my daughter other than I would have treated her I'm her father you're her spouse let's get on the same page if that's happening you know, you know what's happening I'll tell you how you know if it's happening because every time you, Christian man, go to the Lord in prayer, God keeps talking to you about your spouse. That's how you know that's happening. He, 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 and I mean that he's talking to you about your relationship 
with your spouse. You should be praying for her. You should be advocating for her at the throne of God. You should be reminding yourself that you're co-heirs in Christ. She gets the same inheritance in Christ that you do. And that's what he will remind you of. The biblical account of creation translates into the biblical account of salvation. And that God designed the home for those who follow Christ and a healthy relationship between two people in Christ as they are growing together spiritually, respecting one another spiritually as they worship God together, face the culture together, face problems together, always remembering you are in this together from the beginning of time. You know, one thing I like to always remember when we talk about biblical marriage, tuck this away in your mind. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, Adam and Eve, and Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says Adam and Eve were the first marriage. First marriage. Adam and Eve, first marriage. First married couple. Sin against God. Do it together. They are uh, punished by God. They are disciplined by God. You can read this account of the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. And then what God does is he in that punishment, as he curses the ground, that is the man now work, which is part of creation. Remember this Labor Day weekend. God designed this for purpose. He designed this for work. And one of those purposes is to cultivate his creation, take care of his creation. But now, because of the fall, it's hard to do. He designed women for childbearing. That's not the only thing he designed you for, but it's the one thing you can do that we can't do, regardless of what our culture says today. And then childbearing became painful. It's her purpose, designed for her, became difficult because of sin. But watch this. When God evicts Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, he doesn't break up the marriage. He doesn't send them out and say, guys, it's over. Marriage didn't work. No, no, no. They're in it together. They started together. They depart together. They grow together. They have a family together. They are redeemed together. Because that's how God designed marriage. As part of the created order. And that won't change. Um, gentlemen, specifically, but ladies too. I think ladies are going to know where I'm going with this pretty quick. But uh, husbands sometimes don't, don't tune into this, okay? Studies consistently show over and over. The place in the house that your wife considers the most romantic place. And I know what you're thinking. And you're wrong. It's the room in the house, the location, the the place your partnership shows the most. At least to her. Studies show this. Surveys. uh, Sociological studies. You name it. They all show this that she considers this one location, this one activity, this one part of your partnership to bond you together more than any other, to demonstrate a romantic, loving relationship more than anywhere else. It's not the bedroom. It's not the dinner table. It's the kitchen sink. Yeah. You get in the mess together. 
You wash dishes. You take turns. You do it together. If you got children, you got smelly milk cups in the bottles in there too. You get in there and you wash them together. And she says, I love you, man. (laughs) Husbands and wives are in it together. If you're married to an unsafe spouse, it may be difficult. But you know that God's with you. You know that God designed marriage for a purpose. And he doesn't take that away. You know that if you're cultivating your character in Christ, you're having an impact. And look for those opportunities to share your love for Jesus with your unsaved spouse. And if both of you are saved, praise God for that. Serve him together. Husbands, remember, you're the leader of the home, the spiritual leader of the home. You don't get a pass on that. You need to be growing in Christ personally, cultivating your own character, ready to lead your family, ready to to, to lead your children deeper to faith in Christ. Unmarried people, remember that too. The character you cultivate impacts all of your relationships. God has called you, God has called you to practice submission in your relationships too because the gospel always comes first. I'm going to pray for all of us in just a moment. Then we're going to have a time of response. And I want to invite you to come to Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite you to come to Christ today. And maybe you are unsaved, married to a Christian partner, and all of this suddenly makes sense. You have no idea the impact it would make in your marriage if you come to Christ today, but more importantly, the impact it would make in you. God will forgive you of your sin. God will cleanse you and and give you the righteousness of Christ, and God will lead you and change you and answer your prayers and move in your life in a powerful way. Would you come to Christ today? Married, unmarried, young, old, if you've never trusted Christ, do that today. And in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, a simple prayer, and I invite you to pray it with me to trust Christ today, here or at home. And maybe there's another decision you need to make in a minute. I want to invite you to join fellowship with First Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to the altar. Maybe you need to come and pray for your family and pray for your spouse and pray for your children today. Maybe you just need to bow again at the altar and and commit once more to following Christ. Men, husbands, maybe today is the day you need to say, you know what, Jesus, I need to influence my family for Christ. I've been passive and not proactive. God forgive me for that. May I influence my family for Christ. And maybe there's another decision the Lord has on your heart. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pause in this moment, God, thanking you, Father, for the created order, for the great work of God in Christ, for the salvation we share in Christ. Thanking you, God. Thanking you for that. Thanking you for our salvation. I thank you, God, for believers married to believing spouses. God, bless them as they grow in grace together. And I thank you, God, for never abandoning that believing spouse married to an unbeliever. God, may you strengthen their faith. May you be with them more and more every day. And God, I pray for families. Father, I pray for husbands to to step forward, to lead out. God, may they come to Christ. May they lead spiritually in their homes. Father, I pray for that one who needs Christ today. In this room or at home, they've never trusted Jesus. And maybe it's that unsaved spouse, that non-Christian God, that maybe they're a churchgoer, but they've never trusted Jesus and given their lives to Christ. Father, I want to pray this prayer with them, and I pray by faith they would put their trust in Jesus today and answer the call to follow Christ. 
Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am. And I know that I can't save myself. Maybe I've been trying by my good works. Maybe I've been trying by my church attendance. But God, I know you see through all of that. So Heavenly Father, I come and bow my heart to you today. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and he's alive today. So Father, I ask that Christ would forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change my life today. I repent of those sins and today and every day after, I will follow Christ. And for all of us, God, I pray you would show us what decision we need to make today. And we would yield our will to you, God, to follow Christ into that next step of faith. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.